Hello, everyone, and welcome to Harsh Truths Podcast. If this is your first time listening, I'm your host, Roman Leva, and I love noise and the stories every artist has and what brings them to our unusual corner of the audio world. Thank you so much for tuning in, and if you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever your preferred podcasting platform may be. Also, make sure you follow the podcast on Instagram at Harsh Truths Podcast and on Twitter at Harsh Truths Pod. So I should probably address this at the very beginning of the podcast. Last week, if you are a Patreon supporter or you follow the podcast on social media, you probably saw that I made a post saying that this podcast is going to be going on an indefinite hiatus after these last few interviews are released. The primary motivating factor for going on hiatus is that I can't conduct these interviews the way that I want to, given our current situation here, in, at least in the States, where you know we need to be social distancing and we should limit our travel. And uh, I am very close to my 92-year-old grandfather and he was in the hospital for eight weeks and he's out now and I'm not really willing to put him at risk just because I want to go, you know, fly wherever to interview some noise artists face to face. The flip side of that is, you know, I tried to do the remote interviews over uh, zoom or Skype or discord. And I just couldn't get the connection with someone that, I wanted, even with the episode that's going to follow here, you know, Jay is one of my closest friends and I still struggled at times to, to have that connection. And, you know, at the end of it, uh, at the end of that call, you know, I told Jay, I said, I, I don't think I could do this with someone who I don't know as well as I know you. And I've interviewed most of my really close friends like that already. So um, rather than sacrifice quality for the sake of just continuing to put out episodes, I'm going to take a little break. I think it'll be good because there were still some things, even with this most recent relaunch, that I was unhappy with and some of the directions that, uh, in particular, never really took off with, with the Patreon and bonus episodes and bonus series. Yeah, it just, it just uh, there there became a point where uh, the juice wasn't worth the squeeze, as they say, at least for now. I'm sure when uh, we're on the other side of this pandemic and I'm able to travel and 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 talk to people face to face that I'm going to be back to podcasting in no time. And, you know, who knows, maybe something here or there might come along that I can put up and, and people will enjoy. But I don't want to set any expectations. The Patreon is suspended, so no one's getting billed for the next month or whatever. And for the foreseeable future, you know, don't look for new episodes every month. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll, uh, sooner than later be back to some, some semblance of normalcy and, and we can revisit it at that time. For the last few episodes here, I am going to change the format just a little bit. I'm not going to be doing my normal outro mostly because, I don't really have any listener emails to answer and I don't feel like getting into any more divisive rambling 
at the end of an episode. So, um, yeah, so we're going to dive right into this episode. It's with Jay Linsky uh, from Milwaukee. Jay produces the podcast episodes, so he was naturally someone that I could turn to to interview. And he's been doing a project called Blessed Sacrifice for quite a while now. And as of the release of this podcast, he just put out a new album. So make sure to check out his Bandcamp site, which will be linked in the episode description here. And here we go. Roman. Yes. Are you ready for either the shortest or the longest podcast in the history of your show? Oh, totally, man. I'm so ready. It's it's probably not going to be either of those, but I'm either going to barely say anything or I'm going to say a lot of things very rambly like usual, and who knows? Oh, I, I mean, so I've been uh, today, <laughs> let's see. Yesterday was the first day in 10 days that I'd had a, another human in the house. It was oh, just me and risky. the dogs. So, uh, so yeah, I, my communication skills are pretty poor and um, <laughs> I'm extreme. I'm just thrilled to have someone on the, on the line. Hello. This oh, is the operator. Yeah, actually. Yeah. You, you kind of are the operator, you know, I, I think for people that don't know you that are listening right now, Jay, does all the hard work for the podcast. I basically hit record, ask questions, and then Jay does pretty much literally everything else to get the podcast into your ears. So you are the operator. I am the operator. So Jay, for those listening, why don't you introduce yourself, who you are, where you're from, and what projects they might know you from? If you happen to miss the intro to the podcast, my name is Jay. I have a project called Blessed Sacrifice. I also uh, do the bull art. I also book shows in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, United States of America. I ran a venue called The Board Ward. And, God, I've done a lot of things. Now I'm thinking you about it. You certainly have. And bands, and I've done a lot of things. Right. You've lived in Milwaukee your entire life, huh? Entire life, Born and raised. Born and raised. And still am. I'm very Milwaukee. Right. <laughs> which is probably rare for a lot of people. Um, yeah, I, I know very few people that stay in their hometown. I I think it's it's kind of a thing, for better or worse, in um, punk, DIY, noise, whatever you want to, you know, subcultures to kind of just move around in hopes that wherever you go, you'll you'll find some sort of 
satisfying social circumstances or you can go somewhere to avoid um, whatever problems you caused in the last town. So very rarely do you do you oh, have God. someone who just stays where they're at, you know? Yeah, that's true. I think um, just because I am, uh, you know, from the city, I've, I often see a lot of times people come from uh, smaller towns and such, or sometimes from other cities too. Sure. But, um, sure. I think, I think uh, I don't know, just look at the draw. I, I was born here and uh, pretty much I got involved in everything while I was still like, going to school and whatnot. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so when did you start, you know, and I mean, cause you listen to every single episode to quality check it, you know how I usually start these. Um, when, when did you start noticing that you were kind of drawn towards unconventional music? Uh, so just unconventional music in general. So here's an interesting thing. Now, uh, when I was growing up, I was not into music at all. Huh. Like I didn't think about music. Uh like it was around but it just I wasn't very much like focused on music. Like I I'm sure part of that too was um just cuz of I am on the spectrum. Um I'm assuming probably part of that has to do with the fact that, you know, I was just hyper focused on like other things. So music just didn't like kind of exist. <laughs> like it it existed but it's not something that I thought about. And it wasn't really until I want to say sixth grade when I really actually started uh, thinking about music in general. Um, when it came to just unconventional music, uh, I started playing bass between seventh and eighth grade, and I was just in a classic rock and metal. And you know, when I was learning bass, whatever, I get like bass magazines, and you know, I'd read them and try to play stuff, and you know, sometimes I check out. Uh, something that I heard about from the magazine. I got one issue where they did an interview with Les Claypool from Primus. And it the interview kind of intrigued me. And, like, the guy's bases intrigued me. So what I did was I rented whatever Primus CDs that were at the library. And I got one of them, probably a very random one, that just because it was, you know, luck of the draw. Um, and I listened to it, and by the end of it, I was hooked onto that. So I was getting really into Primus. And um, the nice thing about Les Claypool is that he's someone that has a bunch of uh, varied tastes himself. Like, definitely not someone that would be into noise, but definitely like a lot of weird music right. and just like a lot of different music. So, and he would openly talk about them in interviews. So I had a bit of a reference point to um, different things to check out. So. Because of that, I got into like the residence mm. um, pretty early on, which is maybe a giant jump. But uh, that and you know, there's bands like Morphine, which aren't really weird, but still one of my favorites. And Tom Waits, where he has his weird moments, and you know, all sorts of stuff. So that's kind of where my interest in the more unconventional stuff started, because that kind of lit a thing in me. Is like I need to find weirder music. Mm. Um, and obviously, like, I was just finding more music just in general. Right. Um, but that kind of started me on the path. And along the way, like, I had, uh, if we're going to talk about noise specifically, um, I had little glimpses of it here and there, like, like through, say, Melvin's, you know, they did the stuff with Lustmord. Right. So I was aware of that. Uh, I was aware of that. And then uh, 
one of their bass players, Mark Dutram, had like a noise project, which I didn't really understand as a noise project at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I had found his MySpace page, and uh, I, I wish I could find the release, just because it would be interesting to hear it now after knowing all that I do and actually being aware of noise. Right. Uh, but it was just like a, it was pretty much just like a quiet wall for a bit. And then like it just muted for like two seconds and then it come back a little bit louder and it did it like five or six times until it was just like blaring. Hmm. And I thought that was tight. <laughs> right. And I didn't really think of it as noise. I was just like, ah, oh, this is sick. Um, but like it didn't really like ignite anything more than that. And I had like, you know, just because as well with the music stuff, you know, I had a computer and like a shitty old DAW. Uh, I think it was like some really old version of Cakewalk. Um, and I just make a bunch of random stuff and I definitely made a few things that were just like really bad noise hmm. things and just not really thinking about it. And it wasn't until it was either the end of my junior year or start of senior year of high school. So when I like really got formally introduced to noise. And how did that happen? <laughs> this is actually really funny. Um, so my best friend from grade school. Uh, by that point, like we only talked every once in a while, and shortly after this too, we just kind of stopped talking all together. You know, just growing apart, right. like you do. Um, but he told me, he's like, "Hey, I know you like you've been getting into weird music. I have this forensics teacher that does some weird shit that you should check out." And I checked it out, and I was like, "Hell yeah, this rules!" And then, <laughs> um, you know, it was. MySpace age, so I like started talking to the guy. You know, we talked a little bit here and there, and then a few months later, I think it was like, uh, like March or April of my senior year, he was playing shows and whatnot. So I went to this one show. I think at this point, I should say that person is Peter J. Woods. Right. I was wondering when you were going to say it. I thought you were building suspense. You know, I was trying to, but I kind of failed miserably. <laughs> but um, yeah. So it was. Out of out of pure coincidence, um, Peter was dude's forensics coach, and like that connection got made through there, which is really weird. Yeah, that's especially that's thinking so about random. it now. I mean, even then it was random, but like especially now, after however long it's been, it's very weird to think about. But uh, yeah, so the first noise show I went to, um, honestly, was probably the perfect first noise show that you could go to because it just had like the even spread of everything Hmm. i would say you know uh peter opened up uh it was before he was very performance art so you know he had his stuff going on and then uh climax denial played that show so i had some like pe going nice Um, there was this one guy that played uh it's called sibling so he was a singer in a black metal band from i think I don't know if they're from Milwaukee, if they're a bit north of here, but it was the only set he played. Um, and unfortunately, not too long after that, uh, he had uh, committed suicide. So it was like the only show he played. But that was definitely like, if I remember correctly, it was definitely like kind of more black and noise stuff, which very, uh, you know, not a lot of that happening in 2007. Right. Uh, Teeth Collection and Tonight Golden curls were on tour oh wow so i got to yeah so i got to see like 
it was definitely like electroacoustic teeth collection and you know tonight golden curls just doing like you know tonight golden curls things <laughs> right, right uh and it was tight and then uh i believe the was there anyone else other than mouths mouths closed it up so mouths was a two-piece that um was um john mueller and jim schoenicker and they were definitely more academic type stuff so like i got this like perfect spread of almost everything like right off the bat yeah that's quite an introduction which you know i'd imagine a lot of people they go to a noise show and it's like a bunch of people doing harsh noise and power electronics or you might go to something and it's just like kind of psych noise or drone or you know how things have kind of over time gotten a little bit more segmented but uh that show was just like an even mix of stuff and that was cool um and yeah that was i was at this uh uh, it was called the astor theater it was inside the brady street pharmacy which i think is uh glorioso's now on brady uh definitely a spot that i saw a few shows at but um doesn't exist anymore right uh but yeah, so that was the first noise show I went to. And then I just kind of started going to more after that. And actually, I wasn't even in the music scene like before that. Like I had gotten to some like shitty metal shows, mm. like real garbage metal shows like before that. But that kind of stopped. Uh, that kind of stopped shortly afterwards um, because, you know, I started going to the DIY shows and the basement shows. And those were like way better. Right. Um, so really... I kind of got into that whole realm through noise, which is maybe backwards. Um, But that's honestly kind of the story about me stumbling into anything. It's usually through a very backwards way. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is a little unconventional, but, you know, normally when someone's like, oh, I got, you know, I was, you know, I got into metal at a young age or whatever, I usually tend to want to prod a little bit and ask about that. But Milwaukee is such a, um, like metal town, like, like it's a very normal, it it's normalized there. Like n- normal people listen to like metal there. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's weird. <laughs> it is definitely weird for sure. It's definitely weird. Um, and you know, it was just more so I think those shows I had, Oh, actually I know how I found out about those. I was jamming with a few people and they were kind of in the metal scene. So, um, though, like the stuff we were jamming on was, definitely a little bit more out there than normal metal but that never came to fruition um but i kind of went to those shows just because i found out about it through them yeah that definitely like most of the metal scene in milwaukee is hot trash (laughs) (laughs) i i have no no hesitation to say it most of it is hot trash right yeah yeah especially i know it's like pretty legendary like the 90s and early 2000s but yeah, that's you know, by, the, is, by the time 2007 rolls around. Uh, yeah. The, it's different, different scene. Yeah. And I know back in the day, yeah, back in the day they had the Milwaukee metal fest and that was such a big thing. But you know, by the point I was going, it was already like people that went to that, that are just like, Oh, the good old days. And that's all they talk about. And you know, you stagnate in place as soon as you start doing that. Right. So right. Uh, seeing them was a good example for me to be like, don't, be too content in one spot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you'll end up like them. And so you go, you you go to your first noise show. You you feel drawn to it. 
at this point you had not been, not really been making too much music yourself, right? You just, like I said, kind of jammed a little bit. And- I, yeah, I was trying to find people to be in a band with and like, I just couldn't find people like that. There's like one or two people in high school. I like kind of tinkered around with here and there, or there was a couple people in high school. Um, you know, there's one or two that I actually tried to do actual bandwidth, but you know, we literally met once or twice. And then I had a few other friends that, uh, we just dicked around with a DAW and just made just complete garbage. (laughs) Mm. Uh, so yeah, by that point I really didn't have any actual, uh, music outlet, uh, that I could do. That was an actual, you know, thing. I had been writing songs and, um, just in a bunch of different styles and whatever, but I had never actually got to funnel it anywhere at that point. What kind of drove you or, or led you to, to be like, Oh, well I'm going to, I'm going to make noise music because that's a, it's, it's even, you know, you know, I can just take like my own experience, you know, I was in hardcore bands and then I, uh, got into noise and I, I, spent maybe about two years just trying to figure out how people were making noise because I didn't, I wasn't plugged into that network. I didn't really know where to go see noise shows. And this is kind of before YouTube made like everything visible. You know, you can, I mean like nowadays you can just, I'm guilty of it nowadays. Like I'll pull up footage of a noise artist and just look at their table and be like, Oh yeah, I like that pedal. Um, Yeah, for sure. You know, so you know, for me, it was like kind of a weird transition of like, well, how do I even do this? Uh, and, and I feel like I've talked to a few people that are, that are not classically trained musicians, you know what I mean? But like people that had like an instrument they played or were in bands and they've kind of had, you know, similar experiences where there's that weird transition between, oh, I, I have this role as a musician into, I do this as a noise artist. Uh, see, this is where it's slightly hazy because it just like kind of happened. Um, <laughs> you know, I was already for years, like getting into like kind of, you know, weirder music. And so by the time I got into noise, I don't know, it just was natural that I just started making it like that wasn't even like much thought put into it. I was already like making songs. I had already made you know, I'd mentioned earlier garbage like uh, recordings, which I which I've actually inserted into uh, tracks of mine, if I remember correctly. I think there's one track where I actually put some of those recordings in layered awesome. in with like actual somewhat better noise. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But, uh, you know, it was just it just kind of happened. I didn't really think about it like I there was a point where. I had talked to Peter and I was just like, what, what do I need to like, you know, start doing stuff like this? And he gave me a list of things that like, you know, it was probably things that he used and I kind of went off that. Right. And yeah. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, I imagine that like you started playing shows because Peter was like, Oh, Hey, you've been coming around. Why don't you play a show? Yeah. Yeah. It was, <laughs> I had already, like I had assembled the gear or whatever, and I'm sure we were like talking about it at some point. And then, um, the, the first show that I played, Peter didn't book me on. Um, it was, um, my friend Ella who does Nummy. It was for her birthday show in 2008. I think I still have the flyer 
for it, or at least like an image of the flyer. Um, but yeah, so the first show that I played, uh, I think the only involvement Peter had was he also played that. Mm. Um, but yeah, so that was my first show. And then after that, obviously Peter booked me like 80,000 times over, right. over the years. Right, right. So, yeah. and this uh, is, yeah. this is pre-Borg, I'm assuming. Yeah. So the Borg didn't really, the Borg didn't start until, I want to say it opened September, 2008, um, and obviously we were we didn't have involvement with it right away. So um, okay. this was a lot of the shows that Peter was booking was in his basement. Uh, Six Flags Great America, R.I.P. Um, most of those shows were just happening at like this house on like the Marquette campus. Right. Um, Had you already you said you'd already been doing like recordings and stuff. Did you already did you already have like your project named and like were you already ready yeah recordings and stuff where did where does blessed sacrifice come from for those people that don't know so it's a bit of an amalgamation of things so um so in grade school i went to a catholic school called a blessed sacrament um it's on the south side of milwaukee and that place sucks um (laughs) uh you know it's a catholic school um so it's a mix of that and then i wanted to change up the the last word so I ended up with sacrifice, which isn't even a actual word, but um, I I think I don't know if this happened before or shortly afterwards. I want to say it was before, but there's a Praxis album called Sacrifice. Hmm. Um, that's really good. Um, but I think I got that from that album. I want to say hmm. either I either found it like right before or right after. I want to say it was right before. I'd never even. Th- paused to think whether or not it was a word until I attempted to play it sacra off of the word fist in Scrabble. And they were like, sacrifice is not a word. <laughs> and I fuck? was like, I was like, no, it is. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. My best friend's band is called sacrifice. Sacrifice. And then I, you know, nope. go on the internet. And it's word. like, not a word. And I'm like, God damn Super it. not a word. They're like, do you mean sacrament? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a, uh, yeah, it's not a word. Um, in in hindsight, I definitely could have picked a better name. I'm better at naming things now. Uh, that was like almost at the start of it. Um, I think that's yeah, ev- I got, everybody's experience. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah, that's everyone. It's it's fine. You know, I got a bunch of like oh sacrifice, like a fist, and I'm just like <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get it. <laughs> it's really stupid, um, but yeah. So I got that name and. And like, despite all like the uh, the religious like kind of stuff that comes from, I do, I do still like love, you know, the art that came from that. So that's why like a lot of the art still has. Uh, well, I guess more so in, or, yeah, I guess more so in recent years, it's kind of had that kind of vibe because, uh, like, boring church art is kind of cool. Yes, yes, I agree. Yeah, it it has a it it automatically has a heaviness to it. Also, playing an organ in a giant building also tight. Yeah, that's yes, definitely tight. I'm just just playing a <laughs> a blessed sacrifice tune on a giant organ in a basilica, just ringing out. It's more so me like being really bad at piano and wishing that I could sequence it. <laughs> It'd be great. So, according to Discogs.com. 
Oh, your your first your first thing came out in 2008, so I would assume that was around the time of your first show. No, so that one, so my first CDR Abbott that was later in the year. Hmm. Looking okay. for so everyone knows I have this up because I definitely don't remember these dates, but I am also <laughs> one of those people that puts the dates into things. So for whatever reason, this says August 31st, 2008. For the first numerous releases, pretty much how I operated was I'd have a show coming up like a week or two uh, beforehand mm-hmm. or, or after like the whatever point. And I'd just be like, I need to make a new release. <laughs> so I would just kind of like get in a zone where I just focused heavy on this thing for like a week and I rushed it and like then I, the day of the show, I'd be like assembling them and whatever. And then that'd be it. I feel like that's a pretty classic, classic uh, noise modality and noise. Yeah. Yeah. Classic noise move. It is. I didn't do it it that much. It is actually how I continue to operate 10 years on. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Cause I want to say, so Abbott, earth milk, trench mercenary, uh, timeless, losers and failing falling falling sorry yeah it's all good same thing uh those are all kind of done in that way but also like those are like spaced out because um a little bit because abbott was like august end of august 2008 falling was in like february 2010 right so like there's there's a little bit of space in between them probably still like a lot of releases for like a two year period, but yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so it wasn't like a constant, like I'm churning out stuff because, um, yeah, you know, some people do that, which some cases that could work. A lot of cases it doesn't, but some people, you know, they just constantly are churning out stuff. Um, I definitely wasn't so much that mm-hmm. I wish I could remember what show was the first CD for, um, because yeah, it would just be like there's some show coming up that I really wanted to have something for because it was like a show that I was really looking forward to. And then I would just make it. And it's probably very mediocre just because it <laughs> clearly was rushed in a week right. or a couple days or whatever. But that's just how those ones worked. Right. Yeah. It's got to be. I mean, I th- I think a lot of our our experiences in noise and our trajectory are similar and different at the same time, because you were kind of in, I mean, you weren't kind of, you were in Milwaukee and I was in Cleveland and we're both kind of in these hotbeds for really good noise at the time that we were just, just coming into it. So, you know, like for, for you in Milwaukee, you had climax denial and Peter and, um, nummy and, um, I'm forgetting. Oh, rep reptile worship, uh, mildew. That's who I was trying to remember. Um, you know, and then, in, you know, in Cleveland, I had skin graft and, uh, David Russell and murderous vision and, and Makita at the time. Mm-hmm. So we kind of have a benefit that a lot of people, a lot of the listeners might not even have because, you know, not that many people happen to live in areas that have such strong noise scenes. Um, I don't know if that's really a question so much as an observation. Yeah. And actually I have an observation I can add to that. Now this wasn't the case. Um, uh, 
the last couple of years I can't really speak for, but sure. Uh, like the couple of years before that, like it, it fell off from this, but when I started till maybe 2014, 2015, 16, somewhere in there, um, the nice thing that the Milwaukee scene had was everyone had a very distinct project. Um, there was like, because sometimes you get a scene where it's just like a bunch of harsh noise dudes or a bunch of power electronics. Uh, Milwaukee had a bunch of different things going on and it was just like one person did a thing and it wasn't so much like a, uh, you know, this person's already doing this. So I'm going to try this. It's just more so all of us kind of did what we felt or we expressed, uh, you know, what we wanted to express through whatever means we had and felt like doing it. And that ended up yielding very different results. Um, you know, we could, if you compare Peter to Climax Denial, those are two completely separate sounding things. Yes. Yeah, uh, same with you add in Mildew, completely different sounding. I mean, completely different. Yeah. Uh, everyone kind of had their own zone. Like I obviously had my zone and that's just kind of how it was for the longest time, which I think is kind of rare. Um, you know, like I said, you, you can find a bunch of scenes and there might be a bunch of harsh noise dudes there. Um, but it, Milwaukee had like, and maybe still, maybe it's come back to this. Like I said, I can't necessarily speak to the last few years, but, um, Milwaukee has overall had a very, very distinct projects, which I always thought was good because, Having a show with too much of one thing, I think, is kind of boring. Like, it can be cool, but generally it's kind of boring. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the diversity within the scene just kind of helps pull in, in more people. And, and so it does it does definitely help in a lot of situations. And especially when you're first starting out, you know, just being able to kind of essentially hit the noise buffet is is, is great. That's why I used to love the audio visual baptism shows here in Cleveland, you know, it was every month, you know, you just got every noise artist in Cleveland doing their thing. And so you just kind of got to, like I said, it's like a smorgasbord of noise. Yeah. Um, I think what also helped with that too, with Milwaukee is, you know, all, all those people are like very distinctly different people as well. Like mm -hmm. as distinct as, the actual projects and how they sound. If you were to look at, um, like if you know Peter and then, you know, Alex and then, you know, the mildew guys and Ella and, you know, whoever else, like they're all very <laughs> distinctly different people from different like realms and everything. Sure. So I sure that probably helped a little bit from it. And I hope this doesn't like, what I say next, like, I hope it doesn't really come off as like, I'm saying anything bad, but you know, or this is more so just an example, but you get a bunch of people that were in the punk scene and what ends up happening is a lot of times they tend to gravitate, gravitate towards uh, harsh noise of power electronics. And they kind of are just in that realm. And you see that happen a lot with people. It's kind of a trope, I guess, not bad at all. It's just how it happens. Um, the thing with the group of people that we have in Milwaukee is not everyone came from those realms. Like, yeah, some people were part of this, of other scenes. 
some of them, but a lot of people didn't come from like a, you know, the DIY scene. A lot of them are just in like various weird other realms and it just kind of naturally reconverge. Sure. Yeah. No, it's funny that you say that, you know, they didn't come from like a DIY background because Milwaukee's Borg Ward was like the shiny example of Midwestern DIY. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah. It, it, sometimes, sometimes that's how it works. Yeah. True. Just a bunch of weirdos. Very true. So maybe this is a good time to kind of walk us through your experiences with the Borg Ward. Um, I know you weren't there at the very beginning, but you were certainly a central figure for the majority of the time that the Borg was around. And and I think that uh, especially for a lot of listeners who don't have access to DIY spaces, that inform you know, this information could be very valuable and you know, kind of inspiring uh, to uh, initiate those spaces and also as a some lessons learned. Yeah. So before I was there, there was probably a nine month period uh, between when the Borg opened and I started being involved there. The Borg started, it was Labor Day 2008. There's these two guys, Kevin and Ian. They wanted to start a new space. They wanted it to be equal uh art gallery and music venue. They spent a fair amount of time trying to find the right spot and they eventually stumbled upon the building that we ended up being in, uh, which was a, uh, I, th I think it was one of the first, maybe the first funeral home in the city. I'm not sure, but it, it was definitely a funeral home originally. So I want to say what happened was a few months into it, Peter booked a show there and it was, um, I want to say he might have booked, was it Grails? Maybe Grails? Or I could be mixing up with something else. Yeah, so he booked a show there. I didn't actually end up going to that show, but he was the first person that kind of put in a foot in the door there. Mm. Um, and then shortly afterwards, he started booking more shows there. Um, and he was still booking a lot of shows at his uh, in his basement but he would book a few shows at the Borg. Yeah, so I started going to a few shows there. And then in those couple of months, I had started uh, getting the urge to do uh, music stuff. So uh, we had, it was me and then my friend Rich. Uh, we wanted to get a spot just so we could like, you know, putz around. So it got to about, May of that year and you know we inquired about the practice spots that they had and we ended up getting one uh, so we were practicing in the basement be with I guess really more so was my noise stuff and then Rich doing whatever I don't know what he did to be honest because he didn't really do uh, <laughs> that much music outside of like randomly being in like a ska band like at some point but yeah so I started getting involved in the Borg you know I was renting out and then I want to say Within a couple of months, I was like starting to do show stuff. Uh, pretty much the Borg always run where there was one person that was in charge of the shows and they were always there for every show. And it was very common where like someone would run the shows for like a few months and then they'd burn out. And I kind of got the urge to like step up and do that. I, I always had this knack for sharing music and stuff with other people like I always, uh, like in high school when I was getting into the weird stuff, I was always trying to get other people into that stuff with me, which 
really only worked on like three or four people, but you know, that I just love sharing the stuff and I had tried to find other ways to do that. Uh, when I started college, I tried volunteering at a radio station and that sucked cause I was like, I was just listening to CDs for swears and my comprehension <laughs> sucks anyways. So that just, that didn't really go anywhere. Um, I always was trying to find something that I could do to satisfy that. So running shows ended up being like a pretty good way to do that. Cause you know, it's, you know, live music, even if I'm not necessarily booking the shows, you know, I'm helping provide a place where these shows can happen. Right. So I kind of fell into that role and I honestly like that somehow like it, I just never really stopped that much at the end. I was slowing down a bit, but, uh, you know, I went years just running shows and it definitely got to a point where there was multiple people running the shows. So I wasn't, didn't have to be there all the time, but you know, it just kind of happened and I was just running shows. And obviously since I was running shows, Peter was booking shows. So Peter's like, Hey Jay, is this date open? Let me check. Uh, yeah, it's yours. <laughs> so it just became like a very easy for us to book any noise show there. Um, you know, it, it was helpful that originally they were receptive to that stuff before, like I was involved with running the shows because there had been like one or two actual noise shows that happened before I had, uh, stepped in or, or started running, I should say. And it eventually became necessary because Right about the same time as I started, uh, Peter moved out of that house. So we kind of needed to do the stuff there. Otherwise, it just wasn't going to happen. Right. Um, yeah. And then we just had shows. And eventually, I started booking shows, too. And it just all kind of snowballed from there. Were you behind the PA there? Because, I mean, before I had ever heard about anything else about the Borg, I remember being told that I needed to play Milwaukee so I could play through the Borg PA. I... Don't think so. Um, I think the the PA that was there was just always there, like from the start. Um, huh. Obviously, it got fixed up over time. Right. I'm pretty sure they didn't anticipate that, like we were going to be blasting <laughs> noise through it. But it, it was fine, and we had made upgrades a little bit here and there. And especially with Peter's shows, initially, a lot of times what would happen was we'd have the Borg PA, and then Peter would have his bass amp in a kind of got to a point where it was like Peter's like bass stack and my bass stack was part of like the noise PA. Right. And then eventually I got like, you know, QSCs. So, you know, whenever there's a noise show, it's like, obviously I got to roll these out, right. put them yeah. in place yeah. because we got to make it sound actually good. <laughs> Cause as, as loud as like the original PA was like, there was no definition at all. Yeah. It was um, kind of a muddy one, which is it was very muddy. Perfect for me, but yeah, yeah, perfect if uh, if you're doing that, but not perfect for anything else. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Um, but, you know, the QSCs I'd roll out for a lot of shows, and especially, like, the noise ones, just so it'd sound nice and loud and crisp. You know, there's been other combinations of it since. Probably the most absurd case is, I want to say, it was definitely at Noise Fest. Whatever the 10th one was, mm -hmm. I forgot which year was that. But that was the one where it was the Borg PA my QSC PA, Zuba's QSC PA. Did Peter? Have, I don't think Peter had anything in there. Um, we had all that. And then since uh, 
Liz Gomez played that she has a QSCPA. <laughs> so like for some of the sets, that QSCPA was also in the mix. Jesus. So it was just fucking stupid. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you could you just feel your insides rumbling. I think someone took a video of like a cup of water or something just like violently shaking right at, like in the other room as it was happening. And I think I think that was when you were living here too, if I remember correctly. I th- I was going to say I think that was 2014 or 15. I'm I just I do remember it. I do remember this situation though because uh yeah, it was it was intense. That was the extreme of that. Um <laughs> But yeah, our the PA just overall, it's just kind of like, you know, there is many iterations of it, but like the same old crummy, muddy PA that was massive was always like there for every iteration of it. Right. My personal favorite PA story was there was a hardcore show and it was Code Orange Kids and Full of Hell. And this was the first time I met full of hell. So I was helping like setting up for, you know, just like, Oh, what do you guys need? Like, Oh, we need some mics. And then, uh, Dylan just walked to me. He's like, Oh, I have this cable too for my noise. I'm like, you're in the right spot. (laughs) 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 And pretty much what, what proceeded was full of hell playing. And then the noise being like immensely louder than the band was. (laughs) And I was pumped. And it was great. <laughs> just, yeah, that's probably my fondest memory of the PA just because of how funny it was. And especially just because it was a bunch of like hardcore kids and just like, what the fuck's going on? She's <laughs> like, I got to subject you to this somehow. So you would have started booking and, and bottom lining shows there. That would have been 2010. I think I started booking, honestly, it probably booking probably happened in 2008 as well if not 2008 2009 for sure oh okay okay yeah it was it was pretty much like a it was kind of quick i started running out there and then within a few months i was running shows and then like i think like right after i started booking shows too right because i think the the first actual show that i booked was before the borg or it was or it wasn't before the borg it was before i was involved in the borg like a book i think maybe one show in peter's basement Mm. Um, but, uh, besides that, it really took off once I was actually involved at the Borg. Right. Yeah. So obviously the Borg isn't around anymore and there's a lot of reasons why, but you know, what were some of the, the challenges that you encountered with, a you know, with a collectively run DIY space? Because I think that there are a lot of common challenges that, that are encountered in that world. But, you know, for those people that don't have that experience, it might be valuable for them to hear about them. And, you know, perhaps we can, we can pontificate a little on how we could have avoided those issues. Uh, the, well, the big thing is that sometimes not always, but sometimes the word, uh, collective is misleading. Um, you know, there, a lot of times, there might be like one or two person that do bulk of the work, um, you know, whether it's like, you know, the rent stuff and cleaning and all that stuff, it would come and go. And at least for me, especially like by the end of it, I was like, I was over running shows and 
I was doing the money stuff at that point as well. And a lot of people don't have the money to rent out there, but they do anyways. And mm. especially then I was like too timid to tell them to fuck off or something. But it can be stressful because, uh, yeah, a lot of times a very small handful of people will actually take on, you know, sometimes that's not the case. Sometimes like everyone is like involved, but there's a lot of moments where it's just like one to three people that are actually taking care of the stuff. It depends on, you know, when in time there's the fact that the Borg existed for eight and a half years. Like that's just like an absurd amount of time <laughs> for any space like that. You know, when you, your average life is like six months to two years. Right. Um, yeah. You have a lot of, y'all have a lot of turnover uh, in that eight and a half year period. Um, sure. So it just, everything changed a lot over time. And especially with the Borg too, while for the noise shows, like it was great because, you know, obviously the noise scene is, or is fairly small, but you know, people would come out to the shows and it'd be a good time. Like people coming out being like 10, 20, if you're lucky, the fest might be closer to like 40 or 50 on a, the Saturday, you know, for a lot of the other shows, because the Borg was in kind of a weird location at that time period. Um, we had the Borg started off in an area that wasn't gentrified. Um, mm -hmm. and by the time we left was very much getting gentrified yeah. and is still yeah. being gentrified. And right. sometimes I wonder what role that we might've played in that, but like, uh, because it wasn't one of the main areas where shows would happen, it was sometimes hard to get people to go to the shows there. Pretty much in Milwaukee, you have uh, River West, and you have Bayview, and mm -hmm. that's where shows happen. You tend to get more uh, basement shows and whatever happening in River West, and um, and there's like you know some bars and whatnot there too. But Bayview had more bars and actual venues, and maybe you get the occasional basement show there, but. That's generally where most people were based at. And we were kind of in the middle of there and just slightly off to the side. So right. it was in a spot where a lot of people, you know, didn't want to venture out like it was too far. Even yeah, though yeah. the main drag to get between those two places was nine blocks away. Right. Yeah. That's one thing about Milwaukee that obviously isn't a noise or DIY's fault, but Milwaukee is an incredibly... Uh, segregated and segmented city and it's kind of purposefully set up to make it really difficult to travel between the different neighborhoods, you know, yeah, it's like, like definitely. it's, it's, you know, when I think about it, especially now that I'm back in Cleveland or even, even when I was in, in Chicago, it's like there were places in Milwaukee that were maybe a mile from where I was living. But if I didn't have a car, it could take upwards of like an hour to get there on public transportation just because they made it so difficult to get around because they didn't want people from where I was living going to those parts of town. Yeah, no, it's really fucked up. Uh, Milwaukee's had a long history of segregation and uh, there's a lot of stuff with like, you know, the ways that the freeways were built and redlining and certain other awful practices that were done to create this heavily segregated uh, city. That's why when I tell people kind of how it looks, um, and I, I'm curious because this is about to be updated with the new census, but uh, I think it was New York Times had like an interactive census map, and it was for 2010. Mm -hmm. If you look at Milwaukee, um, obviously like shape-wise isn't exactly this, but 
I pretty much describe it as a old school Tylenol pill, you know, <laughs> where you have yeah, like the red yeah. side and the white side. Yeah. Uh, you know, the top half of it is where all the black people live. The bottom half is where all like your Hispanic and Latino populations live. Right. And then the casing is white people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. The, that's how it's set up. Yeah. You, you, you get the closest you get to pretty evenly mix is River West. However, it's probably less so the case now. Um, and this is why I'm also curious to see the new census map when it's actually all done. But um, River West, if you look at River West, it's very evenly like mixed. On the east side of River West is a river, so that's where it cuts off. But the west side of River West is cut off by Holton Avenue. And mm-hmm. when you look at that map, that stops hard. Yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like still you have this very integrated area, but there's still like a boundary where that very integrated area is. Um, now, like I said, that's from the 2010 census. It's been 10 years. Right. And I know right. there's plenty, I know plenty of people that live on the other side of Holden. So I'm very curious how it looks now. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's because of that. Yeah. It's made it kind of weird. Um, people kind of stay in their areas. I know a lot of people call Milwaukee, like, the largest uh, small town or something like that because, you know, you go somewhere and you see someone, it's like a small town, but the reason why it's like that is because it's so segregated and segmented that you just kind of stay in your little area where Milwaukee's very large. When I could start to drive, like I drove all all around the city and I still do just so I can like understand like the size and depth and, you know, start to kind of process the realities of this city. Um, because it's massive. It is a big city. Um, you know, you got a fair amount of land. It's just that you're you generally stay in like a little pocket because that's how most families have operated here naturally. And you kind of have to want to bust out of that if you want to actually understand. <laughs> sure. And, you know, to tie it back in, into what we were talking about, I think that, you know, a problem that's often encountered with. DIY spaces is that you're running on such a tight budget that you can really only afford to go into certain areas. But then those areas that you're going into, you're usually you and the patrons of that space are almost always outsiders. And so, you know, the, that issue of gentrification is, is very real for a lot of DIY spaces and is something that's, incredibly difficult to to work around because again like you're you know like if you can't you can't afford to put the spot in an area that isn't gentrified then um you know you're stuck going into those areas and kind of being the you know some of the early flag bearers you know they always say like wherever the artists go you know that's you know that's the next neighborhood that's going to blow up or whatever and i've certainly seen that you know, here in Cleveland, like with Tremont, uh, the Tremont neighborhood is, is exactly that example. Yeah. Switching gears here, you are, well, when this comes out, you will be releasing a new record for the first time in four years, a new recording. First time in four years. Um, uh, no, was it, has it been four years? Yes, it has been because... The last no, thing. No, actually. Oh wait, no, no, no. Um, Shay put something out for you like two years ago. Yeah, 
Yeah, the last thing I put out was uh, my 10th anniversary tape. Right, uh, right, yeah. A uh, decade in dollar. So yeah, I guess uh, it's only been two years since you've put something out. But I know just having known you as a friend that you've been working on this record for like five, yeah. five for, years. For the few people that are wondering, yes, this is the record. <laughs> this is the record that I started in like 2013. It's done. I'm so done with it. And it's actually, you can listen to it right now, hopefully. I mean, it took you a long time to put this together. I don't even know how to ask this, uh, but what took you so long? <laughs> the the classic question, what took you so long? A lot of, there's a lot of reasons for that. I mean, first off, it's good that it took me this long. Um, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have been as good if I didn't take this long, but really it was a mix of stuff. Um, you know, I started this, I think it was 2030. It might've been even 2012. I don't remember. Um, it's been that long. So you got to remember that, you know, by that point I was running a venue. I was in two bands. I was, you know, playing noise shows. I had my normal job and I was recording bands. I had a lot of stuff going on. And on top of that, I didn't really have like a dedicated space where I could like actually work on stuff. Like if I wanted to work on something, I'd have to completely set up everything, which is really the big reason why I feel a lot of people don't record as often is because they have to like completely set up everything in order to work on stuff. You know, it's different. Like now I actually have like space and, you know, a place where I could set up all my gear and it's just there and I just have to turn on my laptop and like open a program and then I'm working on stuff. Right. So I had a lot of stuff going on. Um, and of course, too, I was taking videos at shows. I honestly had too much going on. I when I had like the free time, a lot of times I just didn't have the motivation to actually work on it, even though like in my head it was just like I need to work on this. Like I desperately want to work on this. Like I just couldn't get my like I couldn't force my body to make the physical motions and my brain to actually focus the intention on that. Sure. You know, I was definitely spread thin. And and it got to the extreme where at one point I had this album, uh seven inch from a Lorganaut. I had recordings for Owls Cry. That was another band that I was in. I had the Amplified Humans DVD mm-hmm. and I had uh, some uh, old Sob Donovan recordings I was working on. So I had like five major projects I was doing. When you have like that much like creative stuff to do at once, that's like all personal stuff. Um, it's kind of difficult to do. Uh, that's why out of all those things, like out of all those things that Amplified Humans got out first because there was more people involved than just me. Sure. Um, right. And like that took a while because I was learning how to make a film on the fly. But, uh, you know, if, if it involves other people, um, especially if it's like not anything that I have any sort of creative input in that, like makes me focus on that more. So, cause it's like, I don't want to like disappoint them. I want to make sure this is out in a timely fashion. And, well, sometimes I did fall off a little bit on those for like recording bands too, just because I was doing everything. The real thing that it took a toll on was just any creative output of mine. Um, it just too much. And over time, I was luckily able to like get one thing done and then another thing done, and it just became more bearable to the point where I finished all of those things. 
there's just too much happening and it didn't work out. But honestly, in the long run, that ended up being good because um, while listening to it now, I'm like, I could have done that better and I could have done that better, especially now that, you know, I have like a better way to like actually mix the stuff and whatever. But if I had finished it in like 2014, it wouldn't have sound anywhere, nowhere near as good as it does now. So, uh, personally, I think it's a quality piece of music. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm inclined so, to agree. It, yeah, sound, it sounds like something that time was put into it. It doesn't sound like, uh, it doesn't sound like some of my things where it's very clear that I just came up with an idea about five minutes before I started recording. <laughs> it happened. I mean, it happens sometimes. Yeah, um, nothing wrong with that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, but yeah, and a lot of stuff on there, if you did happen to see me perform live, yeah, more, especially like between 2013 and uh, whenever I stopped playing shows, uh, you more than likely saw at least one of these songs being performed live. Right. Uh, four of the tracks I played live, uh, Loss of Innocence, Wound of Catharsis, Isolate Form, and Eclipse of Winds Forward. I played live, um, especially the last one. Uh, that one I play a shit ton. Um, yeah. yeah. Failing Grasp and Clandestine Despair and Reflection in Silence, those ones uh, were all just purely studio things. If you saw me live, you more than likely saw me play one of those four tracks. Right. Right. At the very least, maybe even more than that. Right. I, I definitely recognized all four of them, but I've also yeah. seen you play. Uh, you've, you've seen me lot. play a bunch of times. So <laughs> like, yeah, you're definitely like, oh, yeah, this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I will say that it is the the ultimate Blessed Sacrifice release. I, I wanted to ask a question or a couple of questions. and I don't know how you're going to feel about them, but. Is this, is this I like I like it hard and difficult like okay let's so go this. is this the last blessed sacrifice recording this is the last blessed sacrifice recording that's what I thought um you know because it's been a few years now that you've been kind of removed from the noise scene um you know I don't I don't really necessarily want to go into the whole uh detail of of what happened you know I know that there was some some issues that affected you um, and and kind of disenfranchised you and disheartened you and, and, and led to you kind of taking a step away and, and, you know, really limiting your contact with a number of us. But um, yeah, it, it, there is a lot of reasons. Yeah. Yeah. Does that, is that part of why it's, this is the last blessed sacrifice release or is this just, um, kind of a like I don't know what I could even do better. It, it, like I mean this in a good way, but like it's like you're listening to this and it's like, well, I can't. You know, I'm not going to do better than this. So why, you know, why keep it going? I think I'd be lying if I said that it didn't have anything to do with it. Like I think it may have like the smallest fraction to do with it, but it is like fairly low on the list. Why it would be like I'm. I'm forever making music and noise. Um, I still make music um, and noise, uh, even though I, for the most part, it's kind of kept to myself, but I still do it very regularly. And it's still like the main thing I focus on is uh, creating. So that regardless of 
if I'm actively out there or not, I'm still making stuff. Now, I this is kind of this is kind of a weird I'm trying to think of the best way to describe why this is the last one. So it's it's been a few things. So personally, yeah, I I definitely think that at least for this style of stuff, um I don't think I can do much better than that. Like I could record it better. Um but at least for the time being, I can't really do much better and I don't have much of the urge to like make uh more stuff like that. Like I'm sure there will be a point in time I do. Um but even then it won't be under the moniker. Like it is kind of a dumb moniker. Um I feel that I mean not not that I'm stopping it cuz it's a dumb moniker. But I feel as well, like, um, because especially since we live in a world where, you know, if you're doing music stuff, um, even if it's just personal, like you got to give it this moniker and like you kind of have to like market it and it's all weird. And I'm not much someone that like I want people to hear my stuff, but it's, you know, like I said, I'm still making stuff uh, even if. You know, no one's really hearing it um, like that. Like, I know some people uh, like need to have it be out there. Otherwise, like they just stop um, I that. I don't understand at all because, mm. you know, I still love music. I still love making music and I hope to be doing that until I'm in a grave of some type. Uh, essentially, it's just. I feel that, especially with like uh, the Blessed Sacrifice moniker, I feel that uh, the way that I'm trying to think of the best way to put it. I mean, this I'm is a, this is a. I mean, for I'll, a project, do, this is like pretty much as as fully realized as a as a recording can be for a project yeah. like this. I think the best way I could put it is by kind of going on a slight tangent, but it's like the similar thing. Uh, Bull art, for example. Maybe at some point I'll, I'll like do that again. Obviously, like there's no shows going on right now, but um, I don't know. Uh, so when I did that, when I did the 10th anniversary uh, like video, um, you know, I made this giant video and I was hoping and obviously I'm not on Facebook. Uh, I don't have much contact with a lot of people like I did share it with some people. And, you know, we did the podcasts and everything. And the, you know, when I still had my, my, uh, Instagram account, I, you know, I shared it on there and also on the Bullard Instagram, you know, I shared it on there too. Um, and I was just like looking at, you know, the people that had like interacted with it and it was just all like, I don't know, it's just some put me off by it and just there wasn't it's weird to say that it was like that like no one really liked it because there's people that liked it it's just there's something that I was put off by and i think just because like those names are too like intertwined with like the stuff that i don't want to be associated with anymore so i feel like that's why i have to put that to pasture um it's kind of weird i know I, I don't know if i made much sense in explaining that but it's a uh, kind of where I'm at. I'd rather I'm more interested in starting a new, which I have done. 
And I do have a new project and there's no, the new project, like I have no, absolutely like no limits on. For the most part, it'll still be like bummery stuff, but you know, and there might be points where I do stuff with that where it does get into like the blessed territory. But I, f I find it more interesting trying to like either tackle a bunch of different sounding stuff just because uh, I don't know. I'm constantly having different sounding ideas, whether it's like a like a doomy thing or a singer songwriting thing. Maybe it's a funk thing. I don't know. Uh, there's a lot of things that swirl around in my head and I feel that. Um, and eventually that's what I was going to do with Blessed Sacrifice. But I decided to just start it as a new thing um, right. instead of keep going with that moniker. Um, right. So that's kind of it. I, I figured that, you know, it'd be better instead of like exploring different sonic and musical territories with it. Um, that it would be better just to start something new that it's like specifically um, this is for, you know, exploring just everything in general. Hmm. And I'm I'm hoping to like I, I wanted to get to a point where it's like a lot more collaborative if I only like have to do a few random releases here and there, here and there that are just solo stuff, um, I think that'd be tight because if I could get like either people, other people collaborating just for songs, whether it's like, uh, this is say like me and you, for example, like if we did like, this is a so-and-so and plague mother collaboration or like, whether it's like that, or even if it's like, uh, you have a bunch of people that collab just under the name of the project and it's like the one release. Sure, yeah. Then it, And I want it to be like more than just noise. Like I think really pushing the limits, you know, maybe, maybe make a funk record because why not? Funk's sick. Maybe make like a straight up pop record. I, I would love that because that would be a nice challenge. Um, I like being challenged more so. And obviously I want to make good music, but... Uh, yeah, it's just, I want to, I'm kind of, uh, I guess it's a little bit sporadic and all over the place of the things that I want to do. And it's hard for me to like, really, I don't want to start up one project, have it be for this one release and then start a new project for like a completely different thing. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. I get what you're saying. Which I was planning on doing as like before, but it's just like, just do it on the whole, like all one thing. Like, you know, you had like, there's, there's been like artists before that definitely went in that territory where they just really veered off into like varying different uh, directions and one release would be one thing and one would be another. Like I guess uh, controlled bleeding was kind of like that. And yeah, yeah, for uh, sure. So that's, that's kind of more of my interest in, and like a lot of times it will be more essentially in that same vibe I'd imagine. And like I said, I imagine at some point I'll make some stuff that kind of sounds like, you know, this album. Right. Uh, but, you know, I, there's a lot that I want to explore musically. Um, it's hard to, I just don't like keeping it in my head. Sure. <laughs> so I'm just constantly sure, trying sure. to make songs, whether, whether those songs actually like, like make it out into the world or they like, I send the tracks to a few friends and be like, check this thing out. Right. You know? Right. I don't know if any of that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> it, it did. It did a little bit. So when I listened to the, to loss of innocence, 
the record, not just the song. You know, I, I, yeah. like I told, like I said before, I did recognize a handful of these songs from, from your live performances. Yeah. And, um, you know, we've, we've kind of briefly shred that territory a moment ago about, you know, kind of stepping away from the noise scene, but do you, do you see yourself, do you see yourself playing shows again? I mean, right now uh, in COVID, I don't see myself playing shows again. <laughs> None yeah, of us will I play mean, shows again. I'm barely <laughs> leaving my apartment. So yeah, yeah. I think there's going to be, it's, it's got to be a baby steps thing because sure. keep in mind that. I mean, you, last... had, you had a really negative experience that understandably put you, took yeah. you away and like was a embittering experience for you. Understandably. So I just, on the other side of the experience where I'm, I'm still firmly entrenched in that world, but also you're my best friend. You know, I know that there's a lot of people that you might not even be considering or aware of or, or, or anything that would be thrilled to, to have you come back. But at the same time, I also understand why you keep a distance. Yeah. And I understand that like, there's like some people that I've rightfully like distanced myself from, but I know there's plenty of people that I probably like are just more so like innocent bystanders in that. I'm aware of that. It just, it's the way that it had to be right now to give you an idea of like the level that I've been at. So the last noise show I went to was actually you played. Oh yeah. And yeah. you two years you vividly. Yep. And you vivid. I'm sure you vividly remember how I was like, you had a, like, like I went in. You didn't like, want to be there. <laughs> I to put it lightly. I went because I, I was like, oh, God damn it. I have to fucking go to this goddamn show. And like, I was immediately very like shitty and people kept trying to come up to me and talk. And I was just like not having fucking any of it. And I know you could tell that like, I was just like fucking completely miserable. And, you know, and like the few months following that, like was like, I don't know if that was like my low point. Like I was fucking miserable. It got to a point where, you know, each day I was living day by day. And, and, and I will say just so people know, uh, I'm not really a suicidal person. That was never in my mind. I'm more of someone that just rather just like vanish and like just not up here again (laughs) right that's more so the thing that is more tempting to me doing other things is cool and whatever it's just that like i was just really miserable and like you know i was able to overcome that yeah so like i felt that i needed to like really distance myself and work on myself and get to a point where i could address that stuff head on when i do come back right Um, since then i've only been to two shows and they've been in la (laughs) which is really funny um, and there weren't noise shows. Right. Uh, right. But yeah, like I've since that show, I've only been to two shows and it's been like two, two years, two and a half two years. years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's yeah, I really needed to like focus on myself and work on myself because I, you know, while I was also very aggravated with like how everything went out, I was mostly like more so just in myself because I knew of like what I believe in and like, I was not following through with that. And, uh, that just was really the main thing. So 
Um, I was actually, before all this was starting, I was actually considering like peering back into noise and just DIY music scenes in general, like maybe this summer. Hmm. Clearly, that has not happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh... I was debating it. I wasn't sure. I don't know if I would have actually followed through with it. I was actually going to go to a show in Grand Rapids in July. Hmm. Uh, I was planning on that, but then obviously that didn't happen. Right. Um, yeah. So I don't know how I'll be when like things, assuming things level out. Right. I don't know how I'll be when that happens. Right. Um. Yeah. It just I don't know. You know, and it's just a lot of things. So that's why I've kind of retreated and I'm in my zone and I'm pretty content and and like in a much better place mentally now than I was, uh, you know, at the end of that. Right. So, yeah, way better off. Right. Uh, that's also helped me with to get things done. <laughs> sure. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's um, that's the thing that I definitely struggle with on my end as an as an artist is. I used to tell myself that, or I used to maybe even excuse myself and thinking like when I feel the worst is when I make my best art. And then, uh, the last little while here, I've come to realize that, uh, that's not true. I actually do a lot better when I'm happy. Um, or when I'm at the very least, uh, stable and not, not, you know, plumbing the depths of my soul. Um, it's, it's important to stay in touch with those moments and to keep those moments in mind, I think, but you don't have to live there to, to create, you know? No, no. And I, I never had the mindset of like, I have to be miserable to create good stuff that, that never made sense to me. Um, but you know, obviously it just naturally kind of (laughs) happened sometimes that way. Um, it's a, uh, I think it's very important. A lot of people tend to focus on being happy and the world is not happy. Like there can, you can have happy moments and everything. I mean, obviously right now it's kind of hard to really like even imagine that just cause we live in a hell world currently. <laughs> right. <laughs> it yeah. just, not that it wasn't a hell world before. It's just that it's like very much in your face as opposed to hiding in the shadows for many reasons. Right. But I think it's very important for people to like try to get to a point where they're content. Cause I think it's when you're content, it puts you at a good enough headspace where you can clearly see uh, what's going on. You're not, cause I feel like happiness is like kind of like a weird, uh, like it's cool and all, <laughs> but, um, happiness, like as, as nice as that can be in the moment, like, you know, it is the high life is highs and lows. What's the middle point content. Hmm. If you can aim to be content, you know that it's going to get worse, you know, it's going to get better, but like, at least you can kind of like be a little bit more realistic about a lot of things. Hmm. Yeah. I don't disagree with that. It's um, I think a lot of people overlook that. I mean, I've definitely overlooked that. I've had my my struggles to being like in a better spot, whether it was from like social skills, from being on the spectrum to other interpersonal type deals. Um, that was something that I've always struggled with and I've gotten way better at over the past decade. But it's better to aim to be content than to be happy, because if you want to be happy all the time, like that's unrealistic. 
Right. Like yeah. naturally you're going to be sad at some point and that's perfectly normal and fine. Like it's going to happen. Like it's just, you don't want to be in like the absolute pit of everything where like your brain is harsh noise, <laughs> like just a harsh noise wall, you know, just overwhelming at that point. I don't know if this comes across on everything that I said outside of me being kind of rambly, but uh, I spent a lot of time just thinking about that type of stuff. I do a lot of reflecting and self-analyzing or just analyzing in general. Um, a lot of a lot of silence going on on my end. Yeah. Probably I, not good, but it works for me. I, th- I think most people that know you would say that you're you're very thoughtful and contemplative and introspective um sometimes to a fault but for the most part it's it's a much valued and and much endeared quality that you have that's good because i thought most people knew me for being like obnoxious like in a good way (laughs) i i no i i've never the word obnoxious has never crossed my mind i I guess obnoxious is a bad way to put it but you know when i'd like go to a fest i'd just be like goofy as shit Mm. generally i think i think everyone just thinks of you as a fun guy yeah which i've it's kind of weird for me because i'm like man i'm just like very serious constantly but sometimes (laughs) i crack a joke right right okay so getting back to you know kind of talking about this new record you know what or what were some of your motivations behind getting the arrangement and getting the art and just like the presentation as, as a whole as a package so in general, when I make a release, and this is just for anything, like obviously like it's important for things to have a flow and such. Um, also, a lot of times, maybe not so much for one of band stuff as much, just because I don't have as much like say over this, even though I my bandmates may, and by may, I mean definitely will tell you I'm a little demanding. I, I almost always try to... Con- struck stuff as like a one like you could listen to it as an album and it's like there's kind of like a concept whether it's like obvious or like so like what this album is just one it's kind of one giant piece now obviously like there's clearly tracks with large fade outs so obviously it's ends of tracks and specifically ends of my tracks with the five minute fade outs but i tried to um flow a bunch of things throughout the release so there would be like a connectedness through there at least musically mm-hmm. like i think uh, thematically with like the concept of it it's there but like musically i also did that as well so one theme musically um which the the theme concept is something that's seen throughout like orchestral music mm-hmm. um there's a musical line in failing grasp the first track the na, 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 na. and that repeats through some of the tracks actually that one might not appear until the very last track but there's other ones in there there's a bass line that's at the very end of wound of catharsis the fourth track mm-hmm. um, at the very end of that track there's like a bass line that happens because it just kind of repeats the same part and then there's just a bass line that kind of plays out of nowhere to end the track that bass line is also or it's the bass line that's in the last track. I've also have this like weird sound that I made. It was a mini brute and some sort of effects. I don't entirely remember what I all used to make it because it was so long ago, but it's this weird kind of like 
ambient thing. It doesn't even sound like synth, to be honest. It just sounds like some weird, distant, like, tone that just kind of, like, peters in and out a little bit. But I have that repeating through in various parts. Pretty much, I take some random musical elements from throughout the track, and they all kind of form into the last track. Hmm. So it's more of, like, a whole condensed piece as opposed to, like, just your seven tracks. I thought about what would work best to arrange to like make everything flow properly. It's more of an experience. As for the art, so the art was designed by uh, Shay Hardiker, who does um, No Coast, No Hope, does clotting. Awesome graphic designer. Shay mm-hmm. is good. Please, please give Shay your money yes, so he can make sick do. looking stuff for you. I am going to repeat that one more time. Give him your money. Because he's so good at stuff. And God, I, I I legitimately kind of feel bad for like the shit that I put him through for the cover. Because I worked on it so long and it has a bunch of meaning in there. I wanted to make sure that everything was like just right for it. And obviously like the album cover, I feel, you know, that's the that should properly set up what you're about to get into. Um, and we went back and forth for a few months just getting this worked out and I know by the end of it I was driving Shay crazy because I was like oh can you make this like one thing just a little bit more like I know it's very nitpicky (laughs) and I'm sorry I'm an asshole but I feel like just this one little thing will make good (laughs) and it got to a point where he definitely was like all right we need to like we need to wrap this up soon please I'm like trust me two more things (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but but we got it to a point where it's like fucking perfect and Shay is a very patient dude and he deserves everything. Just give him your money. I'm saying that one more time. Give Shay money. Make him do cool things. Shay's so good. Agreed. Couldn't agree more, yeah. actually. You know, we only have the cover designed. So the original plan for this was just streaming and like on my band camp. Mm-hmm. I had toyed around with some other ideas of what to do there was a period where i was gonna like try to shop it around to see if there was any label interested in putting it out but then i just never really followed through with that because it's like especially when it got to the point where it was like i'm clearly not going to keep doing this because it's like why would they want to put out an album for someone that's like not doing anything anymore you know Mm -hmm. the other thing was i really wanted this on on vinyl like i really wanted it on vinyl it got to the point where i was very seriously considering paying to self-release it but also since you know it was well into me being kind of distant from everyone i was legitimately thinking about driving to like different states mailing to like noise record stores like a box of a couple of these records just out of the blue and put the return address as the other record store (laughs) just so then if like something happened and it had to get shipped back it would just go to a different record store Mm -hmm. and i was just gonna do that and just like mail these records to like different record stores that I know do noise (laughs) and like that sounds so fucking insane like the level like how hilarious would have been if Luke for example he just gets a random package in the mail from like torn light (laughs) (laughs) it's just it's just a bunch of my fucking records in there definitely caused some confusion that's for sure (laughs) like that's that's the level that I was very seriously considering to do i was content on not getting any money from that like i was just gonna it was just gonna be there and if that's it i was very much content on losing my ass on these records 
But I just, I can't entirely commit to that because that's so fucking stupid to do financially. But it would have been so fucking funny. What could have been? <laughs> you know, so I, I eventually gave up on that idea for clearly obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. um, so I was like very much content, like this is going to be streaming only. I'm just going to drop it out of nowhere. But interesting thing happened. The day that Shay finished the art and I was like, this is beautiful. I love you. You are a beautiful Shay. <laughs> like I gave him the rundown of what I was going to do. He's like, okay, this is just going to be streaming only. This is my last release, blah, 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 blah. And then he said, I was curious about what you're doing because I was going to ask you if I could put that out as a CD. And I'm like, really? <laughs> really? Huh? This, I'm, I'm cool with that. And he said that I would need to find another label to co-release it. Mm -hmm. um, so it's like, well, I don't really talk to anyone in the noise scene anymore, especially no one that has a noise label. Wait, Peter Woods. <laughs> so I was like, all right, I have one option and it's a perfect option for this because more or less Peter brought this project into the world just by helping me out. He's going to bring it out of this world <laughs> helping me out. <laughs> so I texted Peter and he was cool with putting it out too. So um, no timetable on when the CD will be out. I imagine a few months, maybe. I don't know. It depends on, you know, uh, when that art gets done and when everyone has the money and everything and who knows what's happening with CD pressing now with uh, virus stuff going on, I'm sure. I'm uh, guessing that the CD production isn't going that quick right now. So right. whenever that all happens, they'll let you know when. But for now, you can listen to it uh, on my Bandcamp. Hopefully Spotify and iTunes and all those things might be streaming might not i don't know it'd just be funny if you can load up instagram and like here's this dumb bummer noise track i'm going to put it in my story <laughs> yeah <That is> awesome. <laughs> <sighs> synth chords strings <sighs> that'll that'll be how i do all the new episode announcements for harsh streets it'll just be you screaming <laughs> that'd be so fucking awful god damn it Things might be streaming. It might not. We'll know when this drops because cool. uh, it's in theory, it should be available as soon as you hear this, but maybe not. I don't know. We'll it'll see. be available on Bandcamp one way or the other. At the very least, it'll be on Bandcamp. So I have a question for you and be be as honest as possible. Oh, boy. I want to know your actual opinions on the release on the on the release. Yeah. Uh, like yeah. I like I Late. said, once I listened to it, I was like, I don't think like when I listened to it, I I don't want to say I knew just because like you never really know with people. But yeah. when I listened to it, I was like, oh, Jay's not doing any other Blessed Sacrifice thing. This is it. <laughs> like it just yeah. sounds it sounds like the realization of a project that I've been listening to ever since we first met all those years ago. So you know, going on like eight years, I think now, um, you know, yeah, it, it, it made sense. It makes perfect sense to me as a blessed sacrifice release. But at the same time, I'm like, you, you can't go bigger than this. This is like, this is the seven star match. Like you can't, you can't, you can't <laughs> top it. Like, uh, he's going to be doing something different after this, you know? 
Um, like yeah. that, like in my mind, I was like, I don't know if you had had any interest or ever were going to go back to noise or whatever, even just on your own, like, you know, as a recording or whatever. But, you know, when I heard that, I was like, well, even if he does come back, it's definitely going to not be as blessed sacrifice because you can't, how, how would he top this? And not, I, and that's not even like in a way that like, I'm not saying like that you have limits in that way. It's just like, this is so good. Why would you want to top it? I mean, it's definitely is like ultimate. This is kind of a weird thing to say i guess but like i over time like i know of some people have come up to me after sets and like they have told me like they like cried a little during the set when i perform because obviously all the stuff's like very heavy Mm -hmm. um emotionally and you know sonically at times too uh but emotionally definitely very heavy i always try to like strive to some goal where seeing that people can get that reaction to get myself to a point where like if I was playing live or something that it would just be so like much that it would cause me to like tear up. And I never quite achieved that until this album. I won't mention when uh, it happened, but there is a point and it's a very logical point and it just makes sense that it's it. It's right. this one. I hate to even use this as an example, given the characters, the cast of characters that are going to be involved oh in this, but oh God. Um, Boyd Rice and uh, <laughs> Douglas Pierce had a collaboration oh that they God. did, and it wasn't even a musical moment. It was a moment where they were just like together and they saw, I think they, they were like standing up in a canyon and they saw a helicopter or something like that. It was just some intense moment and they looked at each other and they were just like, uh, we're done, huh? It's like you sometimes you just know, you know, you've reached that point where it's time to it's time to end something. Yeah. And and like I said, I'm probably going to still make stuff that sounds like this. I genuinely enjoy making stuff like that. The vocals probably not going to happen again. Um, I'm at a point now with my voice where it's like even when we started this podcast to now, like it has changed. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Like my voice is very inconsistent. It is very trash. Um, doing those vocals is literally the worst possible way you can do vocals. And I know better ways to do vocals is just to get that specific sound. You have to do it in the worst way possible. Yeah. But, you don't want to, you don't uh, want to permanently damage your vocal I don't want to get my voice damaged cause I'm trying to make some weird like tone come out of it while I'm screaming. But like, uh, you know, all the musical elements of it definitely still be around. Like that's my shit. Uh, right. I just want to do more shit. That is also my shit. Well, I think we're getting to a wrapping up point here with with this episode, this strange journey of an episode. It's been and and from the beginning in every way possible. Um, I went on a lot of uh, side tangents that may or may not make the final. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's fine. Um, and if people hear this part, they're going to be like, "What tangents do they go on?" And you'll never know, guys. You'll never know. You'll never know. You'll you never. You'll, you'll never know about our elaborate plan to start a Doobie Brothers cover band and give up noise and all heavy music forever. Fact. <laughs> Facts. Fact is- Facts. We are going to do some Doobie Brothers style music together somehow. <laughs> I, I have no. I have nothing musically to contribute to this. <laughs> I. But I have the spirit. <laughs> I have the I, I have the smooth sailing of my soul. I will keep this in the podcast. I don't know <laughs> if I sent you this or not, but I feel like I did. So just for the record, I'm constantly still trying to find new music. 
whether it's like older stuff or stuff that's now like I can legitimately have a conversation with you about BTS right now if you wanted to, but we're not right, going to go down right. that road. Um, but there, so there's this uh, funk soul. I don't know. They're like, like they're in like soul the brother. damn band realm, but they're called Wolfpack, and I've showed huh. you them before. They put out a music video within the past couple of weeks that straight up doobie vibes in this a little bit. Whoa. I got to send you that. Everything needs a little bit of what a fool believes. Yeah. Um, Jade, exactly. do you have any, do you have any parting words? Uh, listen to the thing if you want. If not, I understand. Maybe it's streaming. Maybe it's not. I don't know. It's on my band camp though. Uh, wait for the physical release. Just pay attention to FTAM and No Coast, No Hope. You can find me nowhere on the internet. Please do not contact me. I will contact you. <laughs> um, <laughs> do not attempt contact. Please do a not attempt people contact. Get that. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm sure that plenty of people are going to uh, not take that to word. Um, uh, I do mean that. There are some people I do plan on contacting, though. So um, uh, sorry for being a distant asshole to some people, but not so much to others. Well, Jay, uh, normally this is the part where I thank my guest for sitting down and spending time with me talking and, and, and going through the whole process of the interview. And obviously I do want to thank you for uh, sitting down and going through the whole process of doing the interview with me. But uh, even more so, I do want to thank you from the bottom of my heart uh, for all that you do for the podcast. And uh, it's thankless work that I probably owe you a couple hundred bucks for, but, um, you know, the podcast wouldn't exist without you. And, and I, uh, I hope everyone listening can keep that in mind when they're giving the podcast its flowers, those flowers should be going directly to, to Jay. What, what flowers are these? That's a, it's a phrase like give, give, give the man his flowers. Like, you know, they, like in those awesome Japanese wrestling matches where they bring the flowers. <laughs> I was going to say, are they cremation lilies? Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry, Zen. All right. Well, Jay, thank you. Thank you again. And um, I guess we'll, we'll catch you around the block. Bye-bye.